Church, if y'all, if y'all remember, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, the last time I was up here, we we talked about a sermon series that I was that I was going to start, and we kind of I gave you the introduction to that series, and uh, the basic idea behind behind that series, which is called the Good and Beautiful God, is is uh, understanding what we what we believe about God, and particularly you know what we believe about the nature of God, and why what we believe about God's nature and how what we believe about God's nature will affect our relationship with God and it'll affect our relationship with others and it will definitely affect our ability to work alongside God in growing spiritually. Um, I'm going to continue on that series, but I'm not going to continue it today. Um, I feel like God's talked to me, spoke to me <coughs> recently and, and put some things on my mind and and I, I really, I don't even want to preach to you this morning. I really just want to talk to you um, about some stuff that's been on my heart for a long time. Not even, you know, I, and I mean for a long time, probably even before I've got to Bemis, and uh, definitely since I've been to Bemis. And it just, it's not something that lets up. And I believe once again, you know, that it's just really something that God has, has placed on my heart. And and I, and I decided to change up. I decided to speak on this subject. Um, later this week, later in the week, and uh, initially my idea was I was just going to, I was just going to get up here and shoot from the hip, and uh, and just really lay my heart out to you guys, and I decided that probably wasn't the best idea, um, so I did make some notes about it, and because um, there's, there's just so much I want to talk about, and, and so much that I, that, I, that I thought of that I didn't, that I didn't want to skirt over, and I didn't want to miss, uh, most of this is stuff that I've talked about before. It's not, it's not going to be anything new to you. Uh, as a matter of fact, most of this stuff is going to be things that I have, that I have stressed over and over um, in my sermons and in, in my conversations with you guys. You know, I, what I want to talk to you about is, um, I want to tell you a little bit about my own spiritual journey. So I want to talk to you a little bit about me. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the church. And when I say the church, I mean I mean the universal church, but yeah, I also mean Bemis United Methodist. I want to talk to you about a little bit about Christianity in general, and I want to talk to you a lot about Jesus. Now, I've told y'all I've told y'all some of my story before, and uh, particularly the ones you know that go to, go to our small groups. Y'all know a lot more about me in my personal life than, than than other folks would in the church. But you know, I was one of those people that just had that just had a miraculous experience with God. You know, God, God pulled me towards Him and uh, brought me to a place of submission in my life, and it, it was just a, uh, it was a radical moment. It was a radical moment of change. You know, where I, I, I didn't just stop participating in certain things. I didn't just stop participating in certain habits and activities and behaviors. No, it was, it was like an immediate heart change for me, and it, and that, and that heart change continued. Um, on through the years, and I hope that it gets more and more, uh, continues to do so more and more. Um, so that's kind of the beginning of my spiritual journey, and, 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 I, and I was really excited. Now keep in mind that I was raised in the church, you know, um, I, was, I was raised coming up in, a, in, in the church, and uh, I just turned away from God at a fairly young age. I, I say fairly young, as soon as I could get out of the house, I, I turned away. I didn't want anything to do with the church, didn't want anything to do with Christ, um, just you know, just being honest with you guys, you know, there was a period where I would have referred, would have referred to myself as an atheist or an agnostic, and 
So I was pretty hardcore. You know, God had to do a lot of work on me <laughs> to bring me back. And when he did, he did so with a vengeance. And he did so um, with a, he, he just gave me a passion, man. And he gave me an excitement and uh, just performed. He saved me. He saved me in more ways than I can possibly name when we talk about salvation. God saved me. And he continues to save me. Every day. <laughs> in some way, shape, or form. So I was excited. I'm still excited. A decade later, I'm still excited about the gospel. I'm still excited about Jesus and Christianity in general. I was excited when all of that first happened, when I first had that major, that major life change. Now before that, before that even occurred, you should also know that I, at the same time, even though I wasn't a Christian, I wasn't a, I didn't have that heart faith um, in Christ as Lord and Savior at the time, but uh, prior, prior to my conversion, what I call my conversion. Um, but even then, before that, I liked Jesus a lot. I liked Jesus the person a lot. I knew a lot about Jesus. I knew a lot about the Gospels. I knew a lot about, you know, the things that Christ had taught and his commandments and his teachings and, and the way of life that he prescribed. And I liked that. I, I, liked, I liked it a lot, even, again, before I was even converted, before I had that experience. So it amazed me when that happened in my life, when I started, you know, regularly attending church and regularly attending small groups and being in conversations with people and those, those types of things, it, it really amazed me how much the teachings of Jesus were not taught. It amazed me how little I heard about people being serious about the lifestyle, the attitudes, the mindset, the behavior, the actions that Jesus prescribed. It seemed like the idea of actually following Jesus kind of came ran ran second place to the to the to the um, stressing of his work on the cross, which of course is great, was wonderful. But the idea, what I experienced in, the, in those church environments there in the beginning, was was all about God's forgiveness. I'm forgiven, and it just kind of stopped there, and that baffled me. Because I knew that there was something bigger to Christianity than just my forgiveness and just my reconciliation. And y'all know how seriously I take that as well. I've preached on that subject recently. <clears throat> but I wasn't being taught these things. And, it, and it, honestly, it just it confuses me. It confused me. It still confuses me. You know, forgiveness of our sins is great and wonderful. And, and again, you know, I preached on that fairly recently. But I kept asking myself in these environments, what about the teachings of Christ? What about the teachings of Christ? Why are these things not being emphasized in what I'm hearing, what I'm being taught? At best, at best, why are they being minimized? You know, what about the Beatitudes? How come we're not taking those seriously? What about the Sermon on the Mount? How come we're not taking that seriously? What about the ideas of relentless love, relentless grace, relentless mercy? Relentless forgiveness towards one another? What about loving our enemy and praying for those who hurt us? What about turning the other cheek? How come we're not emphasizing these things? Because I don't think Jesus was wasting his breath when he taught all this. I don't think that he was just saying it for the sake of saying it. 
I think he's pretty clear about what he expects and what he wants of his followers. I'm telling you this because this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to be. Why wasn't I experiencing that in the church? Why was that playing second fiddle to forgiveness? I don't get that. I still don't get that today. What about his commandments that he had to be serious about us embracing and following? How can we refer to ourselves as followers of Jesus when we're not actually dead set, laser focused on following Jesus? How do we do that? Now I'll concede, you know, that our, our Methodist tradition is a little bit a little bit better than that. It 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 it, it emphasizes those things a little bit more than some other church traditions, some other, some other environments. It's one of the many, many reasons I fell in love with the Methodist Church in the beginning. I still would argue, though, that we fall woefully short in carrying out what Jesus intended for his followers and his disciples. That's us. We're his disciples. You know, we can think of a million reasons. We can think of a million reasons to justify, to rationalize, and to not take Jesus seriously. I'm going to look at a piece of scripture real quick. And this, um, this, doesn't, this doesn't even come out of the Gospels. This comes out of... Um, Philippians, the book of Philippians. This was written by the Apostle Paul. And it's not an instruction, it's an instruction to the church from the Apostle Paul. And it just sums up so much. And if you remember, I actually preached on this subject, the same scripture back, um, I think about four or five months ago. But it's Philippians 2, 3 through 8. <clears throat> this is what Paul writes to him. These are his instructions. Do not, or do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. That's the word of God for the people of God. Like I said, I preached on uh, that back in, I think it was April, and uh, the, the subject matter at the time was, was, was what Paul was getting at here. He was, uh, this, whole, this whole reading is about the humility of Christ. Always keep in your mind, all, and I've stressed this over and over, and I, again, I can't stress enough, always keep in the back of your mind, or in the forefront of your mind, preferably, that Jesus is God, that Jesus presents to us what God is and who God is. So when we're hearing about the humility of Jesus, this is a God characteristic, for one thing. I just wanted to point that out. But anyway, this, uh, this particular scripture is all about the humility of Jesus and us and us taking on that same type of humility. What stands out to me is back in verse 5. Can you go back to verse 5, Alex? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. Some translations put it like this. They say, put on the mind of Christ Tony Mallory, you and I have talked about, or you have mentioned to me some things that, I, that I've talked about up here in regards to following Christ, where I've said mimic Christ. I know that you, you now use that phrase a lot. 
You know, that we're called to mimic Christ, that we're called to mirror Christ. Brother, it's bigger than that. It's, brother, it's, it's bigger than just copying Jesus. It's literally taking on the same mind as Jesus. Now let that sink in just a little bit. How would Jesus think? How would Jesus behave? How would Jesus act, particularly in his relationships, if Jesus were me? That's what it means to put on the mind of Christ in everything that we do. It's the same thing that Christ himself preached over and over and over again. We're not just called to speak and act like Jesus. We're called to think like him. You know, I don't think that scripture, gospels, the writings of Paul, anything in the New Testament, leaves a whole lot of room for argument in regards to what and who we are called to become if we are genuinely and if we are authentically going to call ourselves Christians. There's not a whole lot of wiggle room there. And that's in the New Testament from beginning to end. It's not just Jesus. It's Paul. It's James. It's John. It's everybody that's an author of the New Testament. How can we rationally, how can we rationally avoid this? But we do. We conveniently avoid it, or at least we minimize it. Like I said in the beginning, we can find all kind of excuses, all kind of justifications not to take seriously the obvious and the plain instructions of Jesus for his followers. <clears throat> it wasn't always like that. Christianity was not always like that. What you'll discover in Scripture and what you'll find out from the early church in Christian history was that the idea of not taking the teachings of Jesus seriously would have been absolutely foreign. As a matter of fact, if you guys remember right, I once told you or I reminded you that Jesus, or that the early church was referred to not as Christianity, but it was referred to as what? Somebody tell me. Kevin, I know you know, brother. Put you on the spot. It wasn't referred to as Christianity. Christianity was kind of like an insult in the beginning. It is the way. Christianity was referred to as the way in the beginning. That's what the people who followed Christ called it. That's what they called their movement because that's exactly what it was. It was a movement. I've told you beliefs are important, but this was more than just beliefs. This was action. This was Christ in action. This was followers of Christ in action. These were communities of people who took seriously the teachings of Jesus and they looked different from society why? Because they actually embraced and lived those things out. It wasn't just a, a, a system of beliefs, again. It was a way of life, and it was marked, and it was identified by its self-sacrificial love for God and its self-sacrificial love for other people. Is that what identifies us today as Christians? This is what bothers me. This is what concerns me. I ain't picking on nobody. It concerns me about myself a lot of times. But we need to ask ourselves some serious questions. Is this what identifies us today? Love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, gentleness, self-control, joy, patience. Are those the attributes that we exude? Are those the attributes that we absolutely bleed as we move throughout our daily lives? Are these the attributes that other people see in us? Are these the attributes that non-Christians, here it is, 
Are these the attributes that non-Christians see in us when they think of Christians? Sadly, that answer is no. I will answer it for you. Because there have been studies done on these things, detailed studies, and I'm going to tell you about one here in just a second. 2007, there was a book <coughs> written, and uh, the, the, the name of it is Unchristian. I'm, I'm trying to remember the, the authors. There were two authors, but I can't remember who they are off the top of my head. And this book, Unchristian, was based on an extensive study that was done by a group called the Barna Group. And uh, they, do, they do a lot of studies pertaining to Christianity and religion in general. So anyway, this, this book was based on that study, and, and, the, and the idea behind it was they wanted to get an um, they want to get understanding, and they want to be able to put something out there that says, hey, this is what young people, I think, they, I think it was people, young people between the ages of 16 and 29 at that time, this is the perception of Christians, the church, and Christianity that our young people from 16 to 29 have right now. Now, keep in mind, this was 15 years ago. This was, this was written in 2007. And I want to share with you guys a little bit of stuff that was discovered because of that study or through that study. This is the hard facts that we have to realize, folks. And this is what we have, this is what we have to use to look at ourselves. I'll, I'll get into that in a second. Just one decade prior to that study, which again was 27, 2007, so 1997-ish, <clears throat> just a decade prior to that study, the vast majority of Americans outside the church, the vast majority of young Americans who were not members of a church, including young people, felt favorably toward Christianity and toward Christianity's role in society. When that study was concluded a decade later in 2007, it was determined that 16% of non-Christians in their late teens and early 20s said that they had a good impression of Christianity. 16%. Same study showed that among young non-Christians, common negative perceptions included the belief that present-day Christianity is judgmental, hypocritical, and too involved in politics. Half of young churchgoers agreed with that statement. Now we're not talking about non-Christians or non-church people. We're talking about kids young people in the church who are now in their 40s, by the way, agreed with that statement. That's the perception that people have of us. What's the crux of that? What's the cause of it? It's us. When young people were asked to identify their impressions of Christianity, one of the common themes was that Christianity has changed from what it used to be. Here it is. And that Christianity in today's society no longer looks like Jesus. If that's not a punch in the throat, that's not a wake-up call, I don't know what is. You know, we can, we can do certain things with this information, church. We can really go one of two ways with this information. We can dismiss it, and we can blame these perceptions and these opinions on the idea that people are simply hostile towards Christianity for no good reason. Or we can take a long, hard, and maybe even painful look at ourselves. Can we answer the question favorably that my thoughts, my words, my actions truly reflect the Christ who I claim to worship? Can we honestly answer that with a yes? Does my general attitude and my general demeanor 
to others. Let them know that I am a follower of Christ. Not because of our beliefs. Most people don't dislike us because of our beliefs. It's our actions. Now let's talk about the Bible real quick. The Bible in general. And I'm, I'm going to tread very, very lightly here. Because <clears throat> I don't want you guys to misunderstand anything I'm about to say. And I certainly don't want y'all going out of here misquoting me because that's how people get in trouble. But this is important for us to talk about in regards to our morality, in regards to the way that we live out our ethics, in regards to our, 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 our attitudes, our actions, our words, our behavior, and in particular, our relationships. This is so important, folks. Um, Harper Lee's book, To Kill a Mockingbird, and there was also a, a movie that was made about that years ago. Some of y'all probably remember that. But there's a character in, uh, in both the book and the movie, and her name was Miss Maudie. Maudie Atkinson, I think, was her last name. But in that book, Maudie throws out this great line. She says, uh, she says, Sometimes the Bible in the hand of one man is worse than a whiskey bottle in the hand of another. Sometimes the Bible in the hand of one man is worse than a whiskey bottle in the hand of the other. The idea there basically is that oftentimes we use the Bible for our own purposes. We believe as Christians that the Bible is the written word of God for his people, 100%. If you were to read our United Methodist Book of Discipline, you would see that what we believe is that all script is that scripture contains all things that are necessary for salvation. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. By the way, when Paul wrote those words, he was referring to the Old Testament because there was no New Testament at the time. Paul was in the process of writing the New Testament. He just didn't know it. So that's what we believe about Scripture. And y'all know that I believe in the authority of Scripture. Y'all know that I believe in uh, Orthodox Christian beliefs regarding Holy Scripture. But that's not my argument. Here is my argument. We have a problem with interpretation. And when we have a problem with interpretation, we have a problem with people and the way that they live out their understanding of what's in Scripture. People in the past and people now fail to read and they fail to apply the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ and who Christ is, which again is God. And it, when it's misunderstood, when it's misapplied, when it's taken out of context, when we don't understand the context, or sometimes when we just have intentional blindness, Imperfect people have and imperfect people do use the Bible to justify unchristlike purposes, unchristlike attitudes, and unchristlike actions. Remember this, church. Those things, misinterpretation, intentional blindness, taking stuff out of context, not understanding the context, misunderstanding the Bible has caused some of the greatest atrocities in the history of humanity. Misusing the Bible has been used to justify war. Misusing the Bible, not understanding the Bible, has been used to justify violence. Misusing the Bible has been used to justify domestic violence. Misusing the Bible has been used to justify prejudice and bigotry and racism and hate and distrust for people who are not like us. 
It's been used to justify the subjugation of women. It has been used to justify the practice of slavery. All of those things. What's the common theme among all those things I just said? None of them match the character of Jesus. None of them match the character of Jesus. That's why we have to be very careful about the way that we read Scripture, the way that we understand it. That's why we need to take the Old Testament very seriously. We should take it so seriously that we want to dive in to understand because if what we believe about God, and how many times have I said this, what we believe about God and the way that we live in this world, the way that we act in this world, the way that we think in this world, doesn't match the image of Jesus Christ, then we're getting it wrong. Then we're getting it wrong. We can't use the Bible to justify unchristlike behavior and unchristlike practices. All of those thoughts, all of those things that I just removed are so far removed from the will of God that it should be as obvious as the noses on our faces. Sadly, with many people, it's not, still. And Jesus knew this. Jesus, you know, this isn't something new, y'all. Religious people misinterpreted, misimplied, were intentionally blind in applying Scripture in Jesus' times. We read about that in the Gospels. How many times did Christ correct it was always the religious people. How many times did Christ correct the religious people because they were using Scripture for impure purposes, for hateful purposes, for selfish purposes? Jesus corrected all of them. They twisted Scripture. They manipulated Scripture to justify what they wanted to do, how they wanted to be as people. that's why we have such a hard time following Jesus because Jesus is very plain he tells us how to be <laughs> we just don't want to do it a lot of times again Old Testament Hebrew scripture can be very very confusing we should work doubly hard to take it seriously um, so that we do understand what it means not just what we think it means or what it appears to mean on the surface we've, we've, we've learned that from studying the book of Job for goodness sake you can't take you can't open up a Bible to a page and point to a particular verse without knowing any of the situation behind it and say, aha, that's the will of God. It doesn't work like that. If what you believe about Christian practice doesn't match the image of Jesus, then you need to rethink it. You need to repent. That's what that word means. It's a Greek word, metanoia. It means to change your mind. What you believe about Holy Scripture doesn't match the image of Jesus that we read about in the Gospel. You need to go deeper into it. Maybe that's why Jesus said, follow me. Because he knew. He knew that we would twist Scripture. He knew that we would manipulate it. He knew that we were weak, selfish human beings who can open up Scripture and make it sound like and make it mean whatever it is we want it to mean. Maybe that's why he just said, follow me. Because it's kind of hard to misinterpret Jesus. Jesus was really, outside of his parables, he was pretty doggone plain spoken. Forgive, forgive your enemies. But, 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 but what? <laughs> that's not hard to understand. Love your enemies. That's not hard to understand. Jesus is very, very plain 
I don't know the mind of him, but maybe so. Maybe, maybe that's why he just said, follow me. Simple, simple. Easy to understand. Not easy to follow, but it's simple. And it's, it's plain. I think I know pretty much everybody here in church this morning. Looking out. <laughs> if y'all were in the same boat that I was years ago, and all of y'all are, are regular attenders here at this point, if y'all were in the same situation that I was years ago, or, or if you're even in that situation right now where you've been hurt by the church, I'm sorry. We're sorry, or we should be sorry. And we should recognize the hurt and the pain that we cause when we cause it. And I'm not talking about correcting people. I'm not talking about not telling people the truth and all that stuff. Because that's part of it too. Gentle correctness. And I'm not talking about conflict within the church. I'm not talking about conflict within our relationships. That happens. That's part of being part of the community, of any community. Conflict's going to happen. What I am talking about is if you've experienced hostility, if you've experienced meanness, if you've experienced self-righteousness, if you've experienced prejudice at the hands of a Christian or a church, if you're watching on the internet, I am sorry. We should all be sorry. Because that ain't Jesus. And people know that. People recognize that. People, for the most part, non-Christians even, love Jesus. They have a hard time with a lot of his followers. And I know that we're imperfect people. I'm certainly at the top of the list. But that's what Christianity is all about. Two relationships, our relationship with God and our relationship with everybody else. People are not going to come to Christ through coercion and through our self-righteousness and through our bitterness and through our meanness and through our hatred. Through our I'm better than you attitudes. It's not going to happen like that. It's not how Christ drew me to him. I can tell you that. That's what ran me away from him for a very, very long time. These are the marks of a Christ follower. I don't get it perfect. God knows I don't get it perfect, but I want to. And this has always been, Kevin, y'all can come up if you want to. This has always been what I feel like God is. I think that God allowed me to reject the church and to be hurt by the church for a reason. And I think that is to be able to sympathize and empathize with others like myself. And I also think that it's to give a message to the church that we need to start reflecting Christ. That as important as our beliefs are, and they are so, so very important, the way that we live out those beliefs are at bare minimum equally important. It matters what we think. It matters how we speak. It matters about our actions. It certainly matters how we treat other people how we view other people. It mattered to Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus is God. There is more to Christianity, church, than my forgiveness. And I'm so happy that I'm forgiven. There's so much more to it. It's about following that way. 
It's about following that way in every facet of our lives. Everything. And living that out in the outside world when we, we leave these walls. Living out those fruits of the Spirit that I just named, that generosity, that kindness, that self-control, that love, that joy, that peace. That's what it looks like to, to be a Christ follower. We need to re-embrace that. I'm going to open up the altar for anybody who wants to come forward this morning. If you have a need, please feel free to pray by yourself at the altar. If you'd like me to pray for you, I'd be more than happy to. Just let me, let me know uh, by raising your hand. I just want to give you all that opportunity this morning.